This is the text for today's message, the Holy Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Philip, before calling you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? He will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. How is Pastor Roberts doing? In the last six months, no question has been asked of me more times, and every time, somehow, it still manages to shock me when I hear it. You see, every Friday, I get to do the hospital and shut-in visits that I am assigned for the week, and every Friday, I am humbled by the conversations that I have with your brothers and sisters in Christ who are infirmed or shut in. Without fail, I'll go to see someone in the hospital who's naturally having the worst day of their life. Somebody who should be totally focused on themselves and what they're going through, just trying to get through the day and survive until tomorrow. Or I'll go to see a shut-in, a shut-in who is so burdened by the weight of dementia or Alzheimer's in their mind that they'll forget my name three, four, five times just in the half hour that I sit with them. They'll tell me the same couple stories over and over again, forgetting that they've just said them. And they'll forget intimate details of their own life, like where they used to live, what they used to do for work, where their kids live, and things of that nature. So every week, we do this sort of rehearsed dance together. This dance where I walk in, I listen to them, I give them God's Word, I give them communion, and then I get ready to leave. And without fail, the last step of this dance is fulfilled in a way that only the Lord could provide. Vicar, how is Pastor Roberts doing? It happens every time, and it shocks me every single time. You see, even when our brains are failing or our own illness is looming large in front of our eyes, humans have such a heart to know. Isn't it so natural and reasonable to want to know? Nathaniel, in our reading for today, he had a heart to know. He heard from his friend Philip that Jesus had come, that the Savior had come from Nazareth. And even though he was convinced in his own mind that the Savior could not possibly have come from a place like Nazareth, he still gets up to go see him because he has such a heart that longs to know. 
And this world plays on our longing to know, doesn't it? It really plays at it. We are continually driven to the two questions of where is God and what is He doing? Where is God and what is He doing? In our youth, we stumble around helpless, and in a longing to know, we ask our mothers, where is God and what does He do? The forced dependence of childhood opens the lifelong pursuit of this question. As children get older, they become teenagers, and by this time in our lives, many of us have seen the tragedy of this world, and many more have felt it on a much deeper and personal level. Teens and preteens will go off to school only to be bullied mercilessly by their friends or their peers. And then they might come home to abusive fathers or alcoholic mothers or other figures of authority or family members who purposefully mistreat them. These teens are driven back to the question they asked in their youth, but this time not out of dependence, but rather out of shock and anger. Where are you, God, and what are you doing? Then the teenagers get a little older, and they go off to college, and circumstances change once again. Now they've got a little bit of freedom, and they can take part in those things, the temptations that the world has made so intriguing for them. They finally have the liberty to choose those things, and they take full advantage of that liberty. They do all the things that the world promises will make them so happy. But after a while, the joy of this freedom starts to fade, and the realization of what they've done sets in, the tremendous guilt that follows. The children, now turned adults, must revisit the question again. But by this time, they're driven there by guilt and fear. Where are you, God? And what are you going to do to me. These adults grow up a little bit more, and they start to get married. Or maybe they stay single and focus on their careers. And the joys of these endeavors fill them up for a while. They feel very fulfilled, but just for a short time. Because along the way, there's this nagging feeling in their heart that something is just missing. They should be completely fulfilled by what the world told them will fill their cup up but it just doesn't seem to be working. And the adults are once again driven back to the question out of a longing to be fulfilled, where is God and what is He doing? Now these adults have reached middle age and become parents. Even those who remained single or or got married and remained childless have found that their parents have gotten to the age where the tables have turned and they have to become parents to the ones that raised them. By this time in their lives, everyone has felt the keen sting of sin in this world. Parents have degenerative brain diseases. Perhaps children have become ill or, God forbid, passed away far too soon. Perhaps that marriage that was so exciting just a few years ago is on the brink of divorce. Great sadness and tragedy has struck people's lives. Maybe those who decided not to get married are dealing with incredible loneliness or hurt by the the world rejecting them and telling them that they don't have a place. And these middle-aged people go back to the question once again, this time driven there by incredible loss and sadness. 
Where is God? And what is he doing? Now these middle-aged people have reached the end. They have become elderly, and they've seen a tremendous breadth of experiences. Their walk with God could more aptly be called a wrestling match, sometimes up and sometimes very down. A death as a result of this sinful world and life has become very apparent to them. Perhaps they themselves are now feeling the weight of diseases like Alzheimer's or dementia. Maybe they have already been preceded in death by a spouse or close friends for those that remain single. And by this time, the elderly people have forgotten more than they know anymore. And they approach death with great trepidation in their hearts. And they ask for a final time out of fear for what is coming. Where is God and what is he doing? I saw you while you were still under the fig tree. In our reading for today, we hear about the calling of Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel is a man we actually don't know that much about, but we do know a couple things. The first thing is that he's aware of the law of Moses, which likely makes him Jewish. And the second thing we know is that he's friends with Philip. You see, Philip has just had his heart awakened to the power of life in Christ. He's met Jesus. And so he runs back to Bethsaida to tell his good friend Nathaniel, I met the Messiah. He is here. He is Jesus of Nazareth. And that's when we learn the third thing about Nathaniel. And that's that he's pretty quick-witted and sarcastic. Because his response is, can anything good come out of that backwater hick town in the north called Nazareth? And you can almost imagine Jesus chuckling as Nathaniel walks up to him. Because Nathaniel has a heart to know that rouses him up out of that fig tree to go see Jesus, even though he thinks it couldn't possibly be the Messiah. And as he approaches, Jesus laughs at himself, knowing full well what Nathaniel just said about his hometown. And Jesus says the words, Here is an Israelite in whom there is truly no deceit. And Nathaniel says, How do you know me? How could you possibly know that about me? And Jesus says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, we don't know what Nathaniel was doing under that fig tree, but it isn't exactly gospel news that we hear, is it? The idea that whatever secret thing happened under that tree, whether it was positive or negative, had been revealed to Jesus is a frightening thought. Because even if it was a good thing, that still means that Jesus was privy to all the terrible things that Nathaniel wanted to keep hidden in his heart. These words from Jesus strike at Nathaniel's heart in a powerful way. And they lead him to declare that Jesus is the Son of God and the King over all of Israel. These words from Christ strike at our hearts as well, don't they? They really talk to us can almost hear the secret struggles, pains, losses, and doubt and hurt of our own lives being publicly seen and known by Jesus in this interaction. Perhaps when we hear the words that, that are spoken to Nathaniel, we instead hear, I saw you while you were a helpless child and you depended on me. I saw you when you were a teenager and those people hurt you so, so badly. I saw you in that college dorm room when you were doing things that you would come to later regret for the rest of your life. 
I saw you as a young adult when you walked away from me. I saw you in your middle age when your parent died or your child got sick or you went through that divorce. I saw you as you were elderly and you were dying and losing your mental and physical faculties. God knows all things. He knew every detail of Nathaniel's life, and he knows every detail of our lives, and he knew them both before he even laid the foundations of the earth. And this is somewhat frightening. It's frightening to think that God knows all the pain that we have gone through and that he still allowed it to happen. It's frightening to think that the almighty king of the universe has seen every terrible sin that we have ever committed. But the gospel in this text isn't in God's divine knowledge. And God's divine knowledge isn't the end of this reading either. Because Nathanael is roused to make a declaration that changes hearts and brings peace. He says, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Humans have a heart to know. And this is a good thing. It's a good thing to ask the question, where is God and what is he doing? Because God has a heart to reveal to us. God's heart is to reveal. God's knowledge is only frightening for us for so long as he chose not to respond. But what was his response? To send his son, the king of Israel. And then Jesus invites Nathanael into this revelation process He says, come and join me, and you will see things much greater than just secret knowledge becoming known. You will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's interesting to see how this revelation of who God is in the form of Christ was most ultimately revealed. It was most clearly and perfectly revealed on the cross as Jesus showed that God is love. God is peace, God is forgiveness, and the Son of God is the path to eternal life. Think about what this revelation would have meant for Nathaniel specifically when he considered the words that were nailed above Jesus' head on the cross. The first half was Jesus of Nazareth, words that he scoffed at in our reading today, words that he laughed at. King of the Jews, the words that he used to declare God's righteousness. You see his sin before him and also the gospel that Jesus has saved him, written above his head. In Nathaniel, we find all of ourselves, don't we? There's a powerful fear that our worst deeds will be known to the Almighty God. And there's also an anger in anger that God didn't allow somebody to stop the suffering, didn't intercede when we were going through all those terrible times in our life. And yet, there's a third feeling, a powerful, powerful relief and awakening of the heart at the gospel truth that you do not need to ask where God is or what he is doing anymore. He is here with us. He is abiding with us. In fact, later in the service, he will be in our very bodies in the form of communion. He is peace and he is love, despite his knowledge of the worst parts of who we are. When someone has had this gospel message revealed to them, they know where to look. The heart is satisfied. It knows. It has the final and ultimate knowledge that we need. Where is he? 
He is here. He is abiding with us. He's in our hearts. He's in our minds. He is in the words that I am speaking to you right now. He is in the sacraments which we partake in every single Sunday. What is he doing? He's working our forgiveness, forgiving our sins. He's working our salvation, becoming the path for us to enter into eternal life. And he is speaking to every single part of your life, even the hidden parts that you don't want anyone to know about that are only revealed to him. And he is speaking love, forgiveness, kindness, generosity, and peace to all of those things every single day. Your questions can start to change because God's revelation is one of great joy that is for all the people. And when you know where to find him and what he is doing, your life starts to change and your questions change with it. Jesus brings assurance to the child that they are safe by welcoming them into his kingdom and by giving them parents and caregivers who love them and show them Christ's compassion every single day. God brings healing to the hurt teenager through reconciliation, through good Christian friends who love and appreciate them, and through church workers who will counsel them and walk with them through their hurt and their pain and their grief. Jesus brings forgiveness to the guilty college student through confession and absolution and through his sacraments which bring forgiveness of all of their sins. Jesus brings fulfillment to the young adult by walking with them and by awakening their hearts to a new and different life with him in Christ. Jesus brings comfort to the middle-aged person by assuring us in his word that the dead will be raised that death is only a short separation for the Christian, and that ultimately we will rise to a perfect new creation that will not have disease or illness or loss or divorce or anything of the like. Jesus brings peace to the elderly and dying person with the words of John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and that whoever believes in him will never die but will have eternal life. And when you've lived a life where your heart knows God, you can ask other questions other than where is God and what is he doing. All of a sudden, you want to know how God is working in other people's lives. Your questions are more outwardly focused because your heart is totally satisfied with Jesus. You start to ask questions about how God is working in other people's lives. And even when you are facing death and your brain is plagued by the effects of time and diseases of this world, you can ask questions like, how is Pastor Roberts doing? Amen. We have a weekly awakening question for you. And the question is this. Are you open to fully knowing another? Are you open to fully knowing another?